After a one-year hiatus, the NFL Scouting Combine is back on in Indianapolis. Which performers have stood out and were drafted by the Seahawks over the past 11 Combines? We're going to be discussing and debating here on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Combine Week to all of our listeners. I'm so excited that the Combine is finally back. Didn't have it last year because of the pandemic. And really, it was the last normal thing that I remember doing before everything shut down back in 2020. So it's nice to see some relative normalcy coming back in the Circle City. So we're going to be breaking down some of our favorite Seahawks-related combine moments. We're also going to be taking a look at some new mock drafts that have come out as we get closer to the draft, of course, being combine week, a ton of mock drafts out there. And for Makeover Monday, checking out the running back group. Is it time to shake things up in the backfield? As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. This episode is brought your way by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. The Combine officially back in action after one year hiatus. Going to be going on in Indy. Everybody's flying in. Over 300 players expected to participate, at least in some capacity. Not all of them are going to be working out or doing drills. But this truly is the ultimate audition for teams. And maybe there's been some major changes over the years that have maybe sullied it a little bit, but still an incredibly important event. And you can tell based on the type of players that the Seahawks have picked over the years that John Schneider and Pete Carroll put a lot of stock in what happens in Indy. Maybe the interviews more than what actually happens on the practice field or in testing. Yeah, no question about it, Corbin. That is still the most important aspect uh, of the combine. Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go to you know a dozen or more uh, of these meetings in, in Indianapolis over the years, and you know all of the athletic testing that that generates all the buzz—the forty-yard dash, the bench press, the vertical jump, all of that kind of stuff. But it really, what it is, is it's the opportunity for every NFL team to get their hands and their stethoscopes and all those different things on these players get those medical evaluations done that is the most important part the interview process is absolutely critical everybody can remember dk metcalf walking into that room with pete carroll with without his shirt and, and all that kind of stuff and just building the foundation that was the relationship that would ultimately lead to seahawks to trade up to get dk metcalf but you know i, I think that if we're going to start off mentioning dk then that to me would be one of my favorite memories of the combine is just seeing a guy who is as built as DK Metcalf is run that, that 40 yard dash in the 4.33 seconds. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal time. And it just kind of just proved yet again that the Seahawks have historically, at least during the Pete Carroll and John Schneider era have, have gone for some of these freak athletes. I mean, their very first, first round pick years ago, of course, being Bruce Irvin, who ran in the four fours himself at 250 pounds so to me it was just the the you know the kind of a, a 
emphatic uh, announcement to the NFL when Seattle made Bruce Irvin their first round selection years ago that Seattle was going to be going for that type of caliber freakish athletes and something that they have obviously gone through with uh, time and time again, again, with Metcalf being one of the prime examples here in recent years. We'll get into thresholds as we go through the week here on our show. Not going to worry about that right now. Obviously, different positions. They have different testing that they seem to prioritize. And we have seen some changes in that regard, especially the quarterback position the last few years. It's not just size and length. Uh, There's different physical traits that they are looking for from these players at that position. We've seen some changes in the offensive and defensive line, too, depending on scheme and coaches that have come in. But obviously, you're talking 40-yard dash. Metcalf and Irvin. To me, Irvin's was arguably the most impressive of those because 20 pounds heavier than DK Metcalf and running a 4-4-1, that is insane. He also ran his three-cone in the 6-6 range, which is just flying for a player that size. So really, that was an impressive time for any position, let alone for a pass rusher at 250-plus pounds. I would have to say there's two memories that jump out to me the most. And bench press, it's debatable how much that really impacts the type of football player you're bringing in. There are certain positions that I think it matters more. That has been a position the Seahawks have seemed to value with cornerbacks. Maybe it has to do with pressing receivers at the line of scrimmage and and having play toughness at the line of scrimmage. But Byron Maxwell, everybody remembers that he was probably 185, 190 soaking wet. He went to the combine in 2011 and had 24 reps of 225 pounds. That's incredibly strong for a guy of his size. And of course, I think the most impressive bench press spectacle that we have seen ever at the combine was Shaquem Griffin with a prosthetic repping 225 20 times. To me, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen at the combine in any event. And he had an incredible day. He ran a 4.38 in the 40-yard dash too. So again, those are the type of athletes the Seahawks have typically liked to jump at. And then J.R. Sweezy, the big lineman, he was a defensive lineman at North Carolina State. He had a higher vertical jump 36 inches than Russell Wilson and Bruce Irvin. We mentioned how athletic he is. Sweezy had a two-inch higher vertical jump than Bruce Irvin did at around 295 pounds. Those are the type of athletes that the Seahawks have looked for, even at defensive and offensive line positions over the years. And that's why it was maybe a little surprising that the 2020 draft, it didn't seem like they had those same athletic freaks in their draft class. Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks not participating may have impacted that, but the guys they picked were not on that same upper percentile in a lot of the events that we've typically seen Seahawks pick with John Schneider and Pete Carroll at the helm. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy that you mentioned the fact that, that Jordan Brooks and Daryl Taylor either did not perform just because they chose not to in the Brooks's case. And then with uh, Terrell, of course, coming off the injury, was not able to perform just for the health reasons. But uh, I think that if you tested those guys in the 40-yard dash uh, in bench press and vertical, then all of them would, would true would show the true explosiveness that we see on on tape. So I, I think that, that, that Seattle is very much still kind of going with um, those athletic freaks. You know, to me, it's going to seem like a little bit of a cop out, Corbin. But you know, some of the, the 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 more positive combine memories I have for the Seahawks is when they did not fall in love with some of those combine workout warriors kind of kind of guys, um, and instead went with some of these players that uh, maybe were not able to participate at the combine. We just mentioned two of them in Brooks and Daryl Taylor, but you know, go back to Jake Curran. He that's where his heart condition was initially diagnosed, and obviously he wound up becoming a, a steal for the Seahawks. 
just this past season as an undrafted free agent. What about Bobby Wagner? I mean, I remember when Bobby Wagner was unable to perform at his combine because he had pneumonia. And then he runs, you know, runs in the four fours at his pro day with a, I believe it was a 39 and a half inch vertical jump uh, at, at Utah State as well. Just really showing what a terrific athlete that he is. But, you know, a lot of NFL teams out there didn't, uh, you know, think enough to go to the Utah State pro day. The, the fact that the Seattle was there um, and, and recognized what a freakish athlete that he was to me. That's one of the fun things about the combine. There's going to be so much hype about it that there's going to be some really good football players who wind up kind of laying low in the weeds. And I think that that's something that John Schneider and his staff have done a great job of being able to kind of snatch some of those guys from those late rounds, get some of the steals of which this uh, regime has become so well known for. Yeah. I don't know that the Bobby, I don't know Bobby Wagner ends up in Seattle. If there's a combine for him, because if he puts those numbers up at the combine, he's probably a top 15, top 20 pick. He's not sliding into the second round. So in that case, the Seahawks benefited from the fact that he was sick and he wasn't able to participate. And there certainly have been other examples where the Seahawks have picked players that maybe didn't participate in the combine, but they would have performed really well in those testing drills. And you can see the athleticism on film. And so now the big question is, now that we're going into the combine, there are some significant changes this year in terms of how the drills are going to go. But generally, they're going to be doing the same testing they've done with bench press, 40-yard dash, short shuttle, three-cone drill, vertical jump and broad jump. You're going to be seeing players pick and choose what events they want to participate in. If they participate at all, there's going to be players that opt out and they're just wanting to do the interviews because that is an incredibly important process. You have guys coming off injury. Teams are going to be spending a lot of time with them doing medical stuff. So this is still a very important week. Those of us that are going to be at the event, we obviously are looking forward to talking to these players, getting to know some of these incoming rookies and also the chance to see what numbers they put up in testing. But that's only part of the reason that this is an important week. And I'm just grateful that we actually have a combine that we can look forward to watching after we didn't have it in 2021. You know what else I'm excited about? Built Bar Puffs. If you haven't tried them, you're missing out. One of the best Built Bars out there. Built Bar Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Some awesome flavors with Built Bar Puffs, too. My personal favorite, banana cream pie. I'll eat two or three of them in one sitting. Not ashamed to admit that. They are going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. They're low-calorie, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go-to snack for me before and sometimes after working out. And they've got delicious flavors and regular Built Bars as well. Coconut, coconut almond. You're running out of time, but they've still got white chocolate cookies and cream available for a limited time as well. New flavors coming out all the time. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how they do it, but they manage to pull it off every time. So go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at Built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for Combine Week, my co-host, Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. They're going to be covering everything Combine-related this week, all the big stories around the NFL, Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. Make sure to check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. 
It's Mock Draft Monday. We kicked this off last week, and we took a little longer getting into this process this year, in part because the Seahawks were done earlier than usual, not making the playoffs, and seemed a little early to jump into mock drafts when all the other teams that were in the playoffs were still playing. But what we're going to be doing now every Monday, taking a look at some of the latest mock drafts that are out there. Let's start with Pro Football Network. They've been kicking out a three-round mock draft every weekend. And on this latest one, with pick number 41, the Pacific Northwest fans are going to be excited about this one. If you're a Washington Husky, you're going to like this pick. And that's Trent McDuffie, the cornerback out of Washington. Now, before you and I discuss this pick, I'm just going to be up front and say that I understand the local connection, and this is a very solid football player. I think pick 41 might be a little rich for me, though, with this kid because he doesn't have great ball production. That is something that concerns me, and I think with the lack of turnovers, that's going to be something the Seahawks are going to be prioritizing at the cornerback position. Yeah, I agree with you, specifically with Seattle. Um, this is a club that has always prioritized ball skills. I mean, we get so fixated on, or oh, is he six foot? Does he have the 32-inch arms? Things of that nature. Uh, th that's something that, that we've seen Seattle be a little bit more willing to look outside the box here in recent years, but they still kind of come back to they want defensive backs to make plays. And, you know, as much of a fan of Trent McDuffie as I am, and I am a fan, I do think that that he could justifiably be selected within the top 50 selections. But at the same time, I just don't see the, the, the ball skills. I, I don't see the explosive quick twitch athleticism yep. that, that Seattle has typically, uh, you know, kind of prided themselves on at the cornerback position in the past. He is not going to measure in that tall. I think that if you're going to focus in on a, a former University of Washington cornerback with the Seahawks, and it may very may likely be Kyler Gordon, the other, the other cornerback out there. Now, I think that Trent McDuffie is a better football player. I love how sound he is as a tackler. I know for a fact that he played on all four special teams units throughout his college career. I mean, that is the kind of instincts, reliability, uh, just football love of the game that that you want. Um, but at the same time, again, I, I I would be surprised if Trent McDuffie was Seattle's pick at number 41 for, for a variety of different reasons. I do think that he has the foot quickness to play man and zone. He can play physical press coverage, even though he's not the biggest corner. There are a lot of things to like. I just look at the fit from a ball production standpoint, and I feel like with him not being the twitchiest of athletes, not having the interceptions, the pass breakup numbers, those are things the Seahawks are going to be looking for. So I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I would actually agree with you. I don't think that he would be the best fit from – Seattle's perspective at just Washington corners in this draft. Now, in the third round, Tyler Smith, the tackle out of Tulsa, was on one of the mock drafts we did last week. So I'm going to delve into him too much this week. But again, my opinion, this is a guy that has incredible size, and he's pretty athletic for being 330-plus pounds. But I see a player that played against inferior FCS competition, took advantage of that. I think that he got away with having subpar technique in a lot of ways because of the competition he was playing against. I want to see if he can do that in the NFL. To me, he's a very raw prospect, and I'm not sure that he necessarily fits what the Seahawks are going to be looking for at right tackle now with Andy Dickerson being their new offensive coordinator. So maybe you could have a fit there because he has athleticism. If you can coach him up, he's got a high ceiling but is that what you're looking for right now when they have two potentially two openings at their tackle positions in Seattle? I think they're going to be looking for somebody a bit more polished. 
I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think if Seattle is investing their third round pick in an offensive lineman, I think that they believe that he is somebody who, uh, you know, is going to be challenging for, for starting reps um, as a rookie. And I just don't think that Tyler Smith is that kind of a guy. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by the talent, a uh, great deal of physical upside to him, um, you know, but I, I still think that if you were investing a pick that early, unless Seattle just goes crazy and free agency and, and brings in somebody big time, whether it be a pass rusher, whether it be a center, whether it be another tackle. I, I think that if if the, the team is constructed as we kind of anticipate that it is, then I think the much, much higher priority would be either a center or some type of defensive lineman who might be able to make some plays in the ball. Get, drafting a developmental tackle, to me, just does not seem like that would be in the cards for Seattle in the 2022 draft. Looking at our next mock draft here, this one coming from USA Today's Draft Wire, another cornerback at pick 41, Kair Elam out of Florida. Now, there are a number of boxes that can be checked off here that you know Pete Carroll is going to be excited about. Six foot two, I'm expecting that he's going to measure in with pretty long arms. So if you're looking more of for a prototypical type corner the Seahawks have looked for on the outside from at least a size standpoint, Elam checks off those boxes. Also had a lot more ball production than McDuffie. 20 pass breakups in three years at Florida. Had five interceptions. McDuffie only had two. So he checks those boxes off. What really worries me, though, this is a player that had issues with handling wide receiver releases. He got beat several times, especially in his 2021 tape, where you saw him get grabby because he was beaten. Guys were getting by him, and he's got the athleticism, but I just question where his technique is at. And the other thing, I see a guy that really makes business decisions a lot of the time as a tackler and decides, I don't know that I'm interested in defending the run. That is a huge thing for Pete Carroll. So if he's seen that on film, his scouts have seen that on film, I can't see this kid being a corner that would really intrigue him that much, even with his size, his ball skills, and athletic traits. Yeah, Elam's an interesting guy um, because he does have all those physical traits that you absolutely love. But as we were talking about before with Trent McDuffie and how critical ball skills are, I think that maybe the only thing that's more critical is just flat competitiveness. And, and that was the thing is it, it just felt like at times that Elam kind of coasted a little bit. Uh, yeah, went through the motions a little bit is another way of saying it. And, um, you know, that, that he did get beaten coverage. He is not nearly as, as physical as you would expect in terms of being a, a, a run defender. Um, you know, so those are some of the concerns I have. I mean, McDuffie is a much more physical player pound for pound uh, than, than Elam is. But at the same time, the level of competition that Elam faced, the, the NFL bloodlines, uh, Matt Elam, Abraham Elam, his father and uncle, respectively, both NFL guys. Uh, you know, I mean, that's something that Seattle has prioritized in the past. So at number 41 overall, I think that Elam has top 20 talent. I also think that he has some bus factor to him. But at number 41 overall, if he was available, uh, I think that he might be somebody that Seattle would be considering. He, to me, would be one of those players I think that the combine is absolutely critical for. I do expect him to measure up very, very well in terms of his size, in terms of his speed, explosiveness. But during that interview process, I I think that the Seahawks are really going to have to try to, uh, you know, really get into his head and, and see what type of competitor that he is. I like the draft wire's other pick at number 72. I mentioned with Tyler Smith in that last mock draft that I see a player that's raw, unrefined, not going to be ready to play right away. 
Sean Ryan from UCLA, to me, is the exact opposite. We're talking about a guy that's been a three-year starter in the Pac-12. We know that Jake Curhan was a four-year starter at Cal. So, I mean, I like those guys from Power 5 conferences that have started a lot of games. I think he has underrated athleticism. Maybe not as athletic as what Smith is, but his technique to go with it makes him the better player. He's much more polished. Now, maybe Smith has a higher ceiling, but... You know, there's bust factor with a player like that. They're looking for somebody that can come in and compete right away at right tackle with Jake Curhan, and he's got some flexibility to play guard as well. 320 pounds. I've seen plenty of clips where he's been able to knock guys off the football. He can handle zone blocking assignments. I think in the third round, if they could get Sean Ryan at that spot, that would be a pretty good bargain, and that might be a guy that can play right tackle for you and really push Jake Curhan for that starting job, if not immediately beat him outright for it. Yeah, I, I'm a big Sean Ryan fan. Uh, you know, I, I think that he could be in play at 41. I think he could be play in play for a team in the late portion of the first round. I, I see a guy that, you know, as you said, 6'5", 320 pounds. Um, he has the bulk uh, to be able to slide inside and play guard. And most of his starting experience, I believe all of his starting experience is outside at tackle, including at that blindside position. Obviously, he's been, you know, playing for, for Chip Kelly, and that's an awful lot of run blocking. But he, he's more athletic than a lot of people want to give him credit for he's got kind of a of a, of a baby face to him um, a little bit of a of a round body and so people automatically assume he's going to have to move inside to guard kind of like what a lot of people did with jay curhan again so to me uh you know i i'm i'm a big fan of of sean ryan's i i do think that that he kind of fits in what seattle is looking to do they've always prioritized versatility along their offensive line um you know to me it's, it's a, kind of a, as you said before it's kind of the exact opposite of what we're talking about with tyler smith i think that ryan could be drafted to be that kind of you know the heir apparent at left tackle position with all due all due respect to Stone Forsyth. Uh, this is a significantly more polished football player who, if he does not uh, compete for a starting spot immediately at one of those tackle spots, then I do think that he is big, physical, uh, you know, and tough enough to be able to handle that transition inside the guard. Yeah, I think it would be an excellent pick if he's available there. I'm with you. I could see him going early second. And if a team falls in love with him late first, might be another guy that the way he handles interviews and testing at the combine autumnly determines where he falls. But he's a very experienced player with some versatility that I think is pro ready. And that's going to be big for the Seahawks. They try to bounce back real quick, Rob. We don't have time to dive into the players here too much, but make sure to check out my latest seven round Seahawks mock draft. I just posted it last Friday. Make sure to check that out on Seahawk Maven. I want you to grade out my first two selections though here real quick. Second round, getting that versatile pass rusher that's kind of the Michael Bennett mold. You know John Schneider's been looking for that. Logan Hall from Houston and also with my third rounder, pick number 72, bringing in Rasheed Walker, the athletic tackle, another guy with three years starting experience in the rugged Big Ten. Yeah, I, no, I, I like it a lot. Um, I think as we talked about that, you have to have some, some talent on the defensive line. That, to me, that, that is their top priority. I love the depth of cornerback this year. So I, I think that you it, it makes a lot of sense to go with a defensive lineman, especially one who is as versatile, still has the untapped potential as much as Hall does. So I would give both of these picks uh, solid Bs. Rashid Walker, to me, reminds me of a lot of the Penn State player, Donovan Smith, who wound up becoming the left tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good football player, underrated football player, a very similar similar in a lot of ways to the guy we talked about before um, with Sean Ryan. So again, I think they're both solid B grades and Seahawks fans would be very, very happy if that's the way it turned out for them. 
I also like Rasheed Walker because I think he could play right tackle immediately in a pinch if you have Dwayne Brown back, and then you could slide him over to left tackle. He's got that type of versatility on both sides, athletic, mirrors well. Hall's just a freak with his violent hands and his ability, that quick step. Again, I see Michael Bennett parallels with that explosiveness reduced inside at 275 pounds. So I think, yeah, I'd be pretty excited if the Seahawks made those two selections, but that's what makes mock draft season so much fun, having a chance to try to see how things play out. And we'll have more of them as we come into each week with mock draft Monday. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the top spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your top source for hockey, boxing, UFC. We're still hoping and praying baseball at some point. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the latest trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. It's Combine Week. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, as we've been doing ever since the season came to an end in early January. It's Makeover Monday. We're going to look at a roster-related topic. We're going to go to my neck of the woods today, Rob, the backfield. And we've talked quite a bit about the running back situation, whether looking at the way guys played last year, looking at individual free agents. We've looked at a number of different angles, but I think you and I can both agree that this is a position that could be in line for a significant shakeup. In fact, I would argue they need to make a significant shakeup at this position going into 2022. I I think this is the most fascinating position for so many reasons. Um, You know, just because of the fact that, you know, a year ago we we thought that Seattle potentially had one of the most dominant one, two punches theoretically, uh, you know, in in all of the NFL and Chris Carson or Rashad Penny. And yet given the durability issues of Carson, given the fact that the Penny is a unrestricted free agent, um, you know, it's very possible that Seattle will not have either uh, of those two players at their disposal next season. So, um, you know, very possible that they have a complete rebuild of this position. Also possible that they bring both of those two players back. And again, I am a big fan of both of those players. We obviously saw what Rashad Penny could do this past year, but how much money is Seattle willing to risk given the way that Penny has struggled with his durability, given the way that Carson struggled with his durability. I mean, he is due six and a half million dollars this upcoming season, Corbin. So uh, I really think that this is going to be one of those decisions that Seattle has to make because no matter who is in the backfield, you know that Seattle is going to continue to tote the rock. That is just in, in Pete Carroll's you know, bloodline. Yeah, this is one of those things where if you look at you know what we actually know right now about the running back position, that is a certainty. We know that Travis Homer and DJ Dallas are going to be back in their fourth and third seasons of their rookie deals. And the, neither one of these guys have shown that they're a feature back. They're solid third down running back options. They're very good special teams players. But right now, that is the only given that we have in the backfield. We know those two are going to be on the roster, but then there's the big questions that we have to wonder about. Is Rashad Penny going to be back? As you mentioned, I think the Seahawks want to bring him back. 
way he played those last six games, he was as good as any running back in the NFL. We saw the rare explosiveness at 230, 235 pounds. Depends what day of the week it is for Pete Carroll, what Rashad Penny's weight is. But a uh, big dude that runs like a rocket, and he can run away from corners and safeties. We got to see that big playability, but he's been hurt so much. He's had a number of injuries. So you can't put too much money into him. You're already – going to be owing Chris Carson, as you mentioned, six and a half million if Carson can play. And I know Pete Carroll's been optimistic about that since he had neck surgery in December, but this is a running back that's had other injury issues. And this is a neck problem. This is not just any other injury. And so I'm skeptical and, and I love Chris Carson. I love his running style. I hope he can come back and play. And those two can both be on the roster and stay healthy because that is a dominant one-two punch. But until I have seen him take a number of hits and get up and be good to go, I guess that's my biggest concern here. What if he doesn't get up and he shouldn't be out there? Now, doctors clearing him to play, that would seem to be a good thing. But we have to see how his body responds, especially with the other injuries that he's had. So like you said, we could go into 2022 without Rashad Penny or Chris Carson, or Alex Collins. I would think if both those guys are gone that they would bring back Alex Collins because he's going to be cheap to resign, and he's been a capable starter when he's had his opportunities. But I think any way you look at this position, they've got to do some things to try to add some insurance. And I think one thing they absolutely have to do, they've got to draft somebody at the running back position, and maybe earlier than some fans want to hear. I don't know that I'm going to go as far as saying second or third round. I think they have other needs they need to address. But, I mean, there's some really good running backs in this class that I think you can get late day two, early day three. They have two fourth rounders. I would not be surprised if one of those fourth round picks is used on the running back. I think they need to, even if Penny and Carson are both back with their injury histories, get another guy in there that's got feature back potential. Dallas and Homer are both solid players. I just don't know, again, that I have seen enough from either one of them to suggest you know what? That guy might have the upside to be a feature back. I just haven't seen it. So whether you're bringing in a rookie, maybe you sign somebody like Leonard Fournette as a free agent if you don't have Penny coming back, all those options need to be on the table because they've got short and long-term concerns that need to be addressed at this position. And of course, the wild card is Josh Johnson in all this too. Didn't run the ball at all last year, but he's a guy they really like as well. A lot of moving parts and a lot of uncertainty. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and they brought in, uh, you know, a, a a versatile pass catching back in, in Darwin Thompson. We talked before about Bobby Wagner coming out of Utah State. That's where Darwin Thompson played his ball. It was previously in Kansas City, and he's exactly what you might think about with the Kansas City Chiefs, kind of like a Clyde Edwards-Elair in that he is a short, squatty back with terrific quickness, uh, very soft hands, might be able to be that kind of versatile threat out of the backfield as a receiver. So they, they do have a lot of the uh, – what I would call the frosting on the cake. They just don't have the actual cake, the actual, you know, stuff that you kind of build yourself around. And, and that to me is what the, the Seahawks have to figure out if Carson or Penny are going to be back. Alex Collins did show that at times, but, you know, clearly Seattle started to move away from him. They wanted to give the ball more to Rashad Penny. They wanted to see what he could do, just acknowledging that he had the much greater big play potential to him. And so there are a number of backs, that, as you mentioned, Corbin, in this draft class that I think are really, really intriguing. There's just not a lot of them who I think have that 220 plus pounds and also have breakaway speed speed. 
Um, you know, one of the ones I've been kind of talking about a lot, Brian Robinson Jr. from Alabama. He's from Alabama, so everybody's heard of him, but he didn't play as much as you might think. Isn't doesn't have quite the uh, you know the the wear worn off of him that that you might expect from an Alabama guy. Brees Hall from Iowa State is that thumper in the inside that a lot of teams uh, you know might like. Uh, Tyler Algier, Algier, excuse me, from BYU is somebody that Nick Lee, our, our buddy, would be able to kind of break down as well as anybody out there. But talk about a guy who may not have the elite straight line speed, but has virtually everything else, including the balance after contact that, that Seattle has always kind of prioritized. To me, those are some of the backs that I think that might be available um, in that third to fourth round range. And then if you wanted to invest in number 41 overall, then, then Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. I mean, he has some unbelievable runs for the Michigan State this past year. He can be that bell cow if Seattle just wanted to completely throw caution to the wind use their first pick to the dismay of the lost Seahawks fans on a running back yet again. But say what you will, that is obviously a strategy that Seattle has used in the past. Seahawks Twitter would explode if they use pick number 41 on a running back. But I'm glad you mentioned Algier because he is one of my fast rising running backs on my board. I picked him in my latest mock draft in the seventh round. I don't think he's lasting to that point. And I'm going to counter you. I think he has breakaway speed because how many games – did he play against Pac-12 competition that he rattled off 50 and 60-yard runs? I think he is sneaky fast. So maybe he'll prove that here coming up in the combine, but also has a little shake-and-bake action, great contact balance. I've talked about Abram Smith. I was a little concerned that he only weighed 211 at the Senior Bowl, but he runs with that linebacker mentality. He did play linebacker before, and you can see that with the way that he runs. And Damian Pierce out of Florida – is another one I really like. So we've just rattled off a bunch of names. We're going to talk running backs more in a couple days when we get there for the combine. But there's a lot of options. There's a lot of Seahawky running backs that are in that 215 to 225 range that I think will be available late day two, early day three. And there's some earlier guys, maybe a pick 41. If you want to look at a guy like a Kenneth Walker or a Brees Hall, their options is a pretty solid running back class. So again, to me, this is a position. There are a lot of question marks. I am very fascinated to see what John Schneider and Pete Carroll decide to do, whether it's bringing back Penny, bringing in a free agent, doing both. I mean, we'll see. There are, I think to me, everything's on the table with this group, a position that's incredibly important for the Seahawks and the way that they want to play offense. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. Sometimes they bring in a guy by the name of Rob Rang as well. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. If you're not subscribing, you're listening to the show. Well, make sure you subscribe so you can get all five episodes for free each week. Coming up on our Tuesday show, it's going to be Combine Week. I'm fired up. We get quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends ready to do their workouts, weigh-ins, and interviews on Wednesday. Rob and I are going to be looking at some players for all three of those positions that our eyes are going to be on in Indianapolis. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.